This is the Clonmel Podcast with Mark Whelan. Hello, it's Mark here, and welcome to the Clonmel Podcast, episode 168 for this, yes, the 1st of March. Thank goodness, February is gone and March is here. And I'd like to welcome our brand new sponsors for this month, Clonmel Covers. And did you know they've been in business for the last 35 years? They're one of Ireland's leading manufacturers of waterproof covers. They make trailer covers for all types of vehicles, from cars to trucks. You can follow Clonmel Covers on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And check out more on their website, www.clonmelcovers.ie. It's great to have you on board. Right, how was your week? Hope it went well. There was good news this week as €150,000 in funding was approved linking the Blue Way at the Gashouse Bridge to Marlefield. That is some good news. Love the Blue Way. Uh, Mind you, not so good news this week was that Clonmel has the highest commercial vacancy rate in the county. Yep, so many vacant properties here in town. Also, more not-so-good news was that someone's been dumping their rubbish at the beautiful Marleyfield Forest. Why on earth would you do that? The Irish Cancer Society had their Clonmel Daffodil Day launch yesterday. That was Thursday. At a place for you. Maybe you were there. It was also announced this week that boxer Shauna O'Keefe will be this year's Grand Marshal at the St. Patrick's Day Parade here in town. And also best of luck to Shauna, who has a fight that Saturday before, the day before. Parts of the town were also without water once again this week. In fact, quite a lot of parts of the town, including ourselves here. Best of luck tomorrow to everyone taking part in the 250th Clonmel Park Run, where to celebrate you've been asked to wear your most colourful clothes. All are welcome to attend. Starting time for the run walk is at 9.30am from the Gas House Bridge. That's tomorrow, Saturday. And finally, signs of summer in Clonmel this week when the ice cream van was spotted around various estates in the town. You know summer is on the way when you see that van and hear that noise. Mind you, how much is a 99 ice cream these days? I bet it's not 99 cent or 99p back in our days. But good to see the ice cream van around anyway. So what is coming up this week on the Clonmel Podcast? Well, I chat to solicitor Kieran Cleary on his many years in the business, growing up in town and the drama of the courtroom. But before that, it's time to join Dean McGrath for another episode of Historic Clonmel. And now it's time for Dean McGrath to join Mark as they explore more of the history of Clonmel. This is Historic Clonmel. So it's time for another episode of Historic Clonmel, and I'm joined by Dean McGrath once again. Dean, where are we? Well, I know where we are, and it's quite creepy. It's dark, and I know we're over the old bridge somewhere. Where are we? <laughs> How are you, Mark? Uh, we're in the old bridge, all right? So we're tucked nicely behind the Del Quinn Park in the ruins of the historic St. Nicholas Church and Graveyard. It's so cold, I can see my breath in front of yeah. me as I'm reading and talking <laughs> to you. The church dates back to the early 1200s. So around the time of St. Stephen's Cemetery, the top of Irish Town, which we've done mm. previously on the podcast. So it's amongst the oldest structures in the town that are still standing. So located outside the southern gate of the old Clonmel Wall, which would have stood where Bridge Street meets, meets the quay and just opposite the Hughes Mills, it served as a Catholic church for the people of Old Bridge and also the people who farmed the mountainside further up the Cummeras by the Holy Year Cross. Now, the church we're standing in was one of only two Catholic churches located outside the walls. Um, The church actually was only in use as a place of worship for quite a short time. So 
it stopped being used for Catholic worship in 1699. However, the graveyard was used uh, right up until in and around the 1800s, possibly a little bit later. So the enjoining graveyard itself is, as you can see, it's quite small mm. and it is enclosed with a low stone wall the whole way around. So there's headstones from the 19th century and one of the earliest headstones found is said to be from the 18th century. Now, I suppose the bit we have to be mindful here is it was actually used as a plague pit. So when the Black Death or the bubonic plague was ravaging through Europe, large pits were dug in this graveyard to bury the victims of the plague as it was done in St. Stephen's Cemetery. I remember you saying that. Yeah. yeah. So it was used for the burial of victims of the plague in grave pits from the mid-1300s onwards as it was located outside the walled town. So the four walls, as you can see, are still... You can still kind of see them underneath the creeper and the bramble. Um, and you can see the features. We're standing... I We're debating if this was the tabernacle of the church or whether it was a window in the church, but the feature is still mm, there. Right, inside the inside church. Inside the church yeah. itself. Um like it, the structure has been engulfed but it's still more or less there and I read that in 2017 actually extensive work was undertaken by the Tidy, tidy Towns Tipperary County Council and local residents to clean up the graveyard and thank God that they did like it's in quite a good a good condition outside the church certainly and I suppose for us it's about talking about the history of the level of history associated here is you know the guts of maybe 800 years of history associated with this small plot of land that most people in the town don't even realise this old church is here. So, Well, I, d- I didn't know. I wonder where you were taking me uh, tonight, <laughs> where we were going. But it, it's very small, Dean, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's really, really small. It does It is very like St Stephen's at the top of Irish Town in terms of the size of it. But if you think of the plot of land that we have here now, it, it is tiny and the houses are right b- backing onto it. So you could imagine the amount of people that would have been buried in terms of mass graves, pits, not to be too morbid, but this was an app, this would have been a hive of activity around the plague times and it was used as a burial, uh, burial ground up until the 1800s, possibly the 1900s, I don't know, but definitely till the 1800s. So a huge amount of history associated with this structure. And you can kind of see the window as we're looking at it here, even though it is engulfed in Bramble, the main structure of it Outer four walls. If you have a very good imagination, you can imagine it being used as a church. Wow! And isn't it great to have this piece of history on our doorstep as well? Absolutely. And I suppose, for from our point of view, the next the next thing would be to get an old information board because the tidy towns have done such a wonderful job in uh, Stevens's cemetery at the top of Irish Town. It'd be fantastic if we had an information board. Um, in order to mark this particular site as well because there's a huge amount of history associated with this small little pot of land in the whole bridge. Okay, from St Nicholas Church, Dean McGrath, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mark. Historic Clonmel. Love Historic Clonmel and thank you again to Dean McGrath. Now, shall we do this week's interview? I think we shall. And I met up with solicitor Kieran Cleary for a very interesting chat. The Clonmel Podcast. Kieran Cleary, welcome to the Clonmel Podcast. And thank you very much indeed. Last time we spoke, it was around July, and you were doing a charity swim. Yeah, I did a charity swim for the hospice here in South Tipperary, and the swim was swimming in the south of Ireland between Wexford and Waterford. The channel comes in there. It's where the ferry goes. It's, That's right. Uh, it's mm. exactly a mile across. The river shore is coming on your right when you're swimming across and the sea is coming on your left and it's like being in a washing machine. It <laughs> is highly dangerous. Do not do it unless, and there's, at the time, there's about 120 others swimming at the same time and there was lots of supervision, 
and I was glad of that. It was really dangerous. But having completed it, it was the greatest high of my life. My wife and all my family were there cheering and whatever. And one of the family said, you know, Dad, if you were drowned out there, it would be a tragedy. But really, Matty McGrath wouldn't be able to go to the funeral. (laughs) 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 Which broke the ice. (laughs) It It was brilliant. And I met Matty McGrath sometime Mm. and I told him. He thought it was brilliant. I bet he thought it was very funny, didn't Matty? He did. (laughs) Believe it or not, I've known you for a hell of a long time when I worked in Narclofty and used to come in swimming then. So you you always were a fit man. Yeah, yeah, all my life. I started here about 48 years ago. And I'm into litigation, which is court work. It's high stress. Mm. It, it, every day is in all Ireland. Every day is high stress. You have to be on the top. And because of that, I've kept a huge level of fitness. Incredible level for my age still. And swimming is one of the better ones. It's non-invasive. It doesn't cause any damage to you. And it's pleasant. And I, even yesterday, I started my first swim in the sea in Planet. And I'm a different vintage. I know, I know I am. But, but all the people I've started with, they're all now... I wouldn't say on Zimmer frames, mm. but they're shuffling around the town mm. and I'm still enjoying golf and all these things. But you have, I had to do it because I chose this life and I enjoy this life, but I'm only as good as the case today. Well, let's, let's talk about the life. How long have you been in the business now? Nearly 48 years. Wow. And I, can I ask what made you go into the business? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually doing lots of other things. I qualified quite late in life. We were married very, very young. In fact, we're married 55 years this year. Uh, and I, I picked all kinds of professions. I couldn't, I, would, I thought about medicine, but I didn't have the, I couldn't do that. A lot of things I couldn't do, but I could do law. I could see how I would love to be in a courtroom, not sitting in an office. I don't like, I love courtrooms. I love the tension. I love the, ex, not exciting, the results, and you have to be highly yeah, alert. You have to be reasonably intelligent, but be alert. Watch and watch what you're saying. When the judge starts writing, stops writing, you shut up. Really? You don't talk anymore because he's heard it. And then you annoy them by mm. repeating. And then they, because it's a balance, you know, dismiss or acquit or convict. It's a very fine balance. And it's up to the person doing it. And I've done a lot of family law ones and they are really, really serious. Have you come across that difficult judge? Well, you can difficult judges, yes, who don't listen. Mm. Uh, you should never really have a case on Fridays because judges go back to where they're from. Say, you might down in Clanmel, the judge will be from Sligo. That right. judge is actually packing their bag and they're driving home now. So don't have a difficult one on Friday. <laughs> and I know it's just human nature. You're right. yeah, you know, okay. human nature. And if on Tuesday you had a, a minor assault or something, you would convict it and jail sentence. On Friday you might get a suspended sentence because the judge wants, wants to go. Okay. He wants to go home. It's, it's, so it's, it's so it depends not, on the mood it, of the it judge. It depends on the mood to a large extent. <laughs> and it depends on the way you address them in court. Okay. And that is why people at court should always dress properly always dress properly, it shows respect. If I go in to see my bank manager, I would dress for the bank manager because I want a loan. Mm. Uh, if I'm going in that socially, that's a different thing. But uh, for just referring to the family law, there has been many, many difficult ones and the ones where the custody are children, that's a huge responsibility on the practitioner. And I nearly always acted for the wife and the husband would whatever. He'd give his evidence, then she would then say, and now, Kieran, my children are coming home with me today. 
after going home with him, it's in your hands. Mm. And that is what you're paid for. But that is really high, high wire stuff. And there's a lot of jargon that there's a we wouldn't understand, isn't there? It is incredible. We speak a different language. Mm. And get so used to talking between ourselves. You, you know, we actually assume the position of the client. I'd say this, and I'd say that, and I... It's not you, it's the client. Mm. But it, it's a complete language. And it's, it's confusing, it's not deliberate, but you need to be an interpreter half the time. What, what's going on? I mean, and I said earlier on, people sit through court cases, they can't understand. They, they, they're so tense and they're so distraught, they don't realise the result is in their favour. But when they come with the handcuffs, then you know things didn't go too well. Oh dear, you're right there. <laughs> you're running for the door yourself. What makes a good solicitor in your eyes? Uh, you have to be alert and you have to have empathy for people. Okay. For a core practitioner, have empathy and sympathy and don't say, that, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't. People make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody sets out in their car in the morning to knock someone down. I don't believe they, but they drive too fast. They drive mm -hmm. on the, or they're reversing to people. This is happening all the time. So a good solicitor has to have, you, you have to get into your, you have to be with your client, understand what their problem is and deal with it. And don't hold out the, the glory thing. Oh, we'll get to, this, this won't work. You have to work with me and I need to know the truth here. I need to know, is this correct, what you're telling me? Because it'll come out eventually, five years down the road, you'll find out he had the previous accident or she had another child before this. So you need to, a good solicitor should love doing what he's doing. It's like any job. If you love what you're doing, it's, it's a doddle. And I can tell by talking to you in the last <laughs> few minutes, you do love and you're very oh, passionate absolutely. about what you yeah, do. I do. And you really enjoy that whole courtroom thing. I going love on. it. <laughs> I love the tension. Do you know, I did 17 <laughs> murder cases and waiting for the jury to come back. Mm. Wow, it was knife aid stuff. I mean, and, the, and you'd watch them and the foreman would give, have a written decision, they'd hand it to the judge. And if the foreman didn't look at you being the solicitor, you knew you were gone. You mm. But then it could, anything could happen. The tension is incredible. And some of these cases can go on for a long but time. They can right? go on for ages. They can, mm. The criminal ones can take a long time. The, particularly, I feel great sympathy for females who have been sexually assaulted in mm. any way. And they're better now. The guards now liaise better with victims. They used them. The victim would be sitting in court beside the accused. It's terrible. It's outrageous. Mm. But now they do. They have liaison officers to deal with females, to deal with their problems, to tell them, tell them what's happening. Mm. I mean, I, I remember a, a female that was a terrible accident down there, Kilkenny, and this woman, uh, she said, I've been in the, my husband's been killed in the car accident. This is my fifth time in this courtroom, and nobody's telling me what to do. Mm. Where, what's happening? They, but they're better now. They do liaise with them, and a good solicitor should tell the clients, write to them. Don't phone them, write so they can read it and discuss it with their family. And that's very important. And if you don't enjoy that, and if you don't enjoy the tension, and there's a little camaraderie, there's a lot of hostility. Uh, all solicitors are not that friendly. Mm -hmm. They're polite, but they're not that friendly behind it because they're only colleagues, they're not your friends. Have you represented someone that they had did it, they, they were guilty? The solicitors are appointed by the High Court and mm. it's a huge responsibility. And our training is, and it's black and white, if the client says to you, I did it, mm. then you can act for them pleading guilty. Okay. And you can put forward mitigating circumstances, but you cannot act for them and fight the case. You have to walk out. I've done it in cases. You have to say, judge, my instructions, 
have now changed. Oh, okay. And I can no longer act. I have a conflict here, and the judge say, fine, we put it off and get another solicitor. You can't act, and you shouldn't act. You might have suspicions, and when you get, they only get, um, clients, the criminal only really concentrates his mind when he's going in the front door of the court, knowing he might be coming home to Mammy, but he might be going to Mount Joy. Then they concentrate. So sometimes you could then plead guilty at a later date, get a reduced sentence. Oh, I didn't steal the jewels, but I'll drop yeah, them yeah, back. Well, yes, I, well, yeah, that's a brilliant fact, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Guard, I didn't steal them. No, no, I didn't. Yeah, but I gave them back. <laughs> and, oh, look, there's some wonderful... When I was much younger, we did a lot of... Uh, pubs, after hours trading in pubs, and it was a look, it was a different year. It, it was, yeah, it was. Fantastic. <laughs> and uh, they were fantastic. I mean, grown men running out the back door of a pub mm. and running into the orchard. And there was a publican down in the um, Dungarvan area, and she was a rogue for late night works because she had to, there were too many pubs. And she said to the judge, Judge, when the guards called, there was nobody in the premises. But the superintendent said, Judge, that's not correct. Mm. What had happened? She had pushed an addition at the back of the pub, a kind of a lean-to with extension, and the, the foundons ran out the back door and got up on the roof. And they were sitting on a ten men sitting on the roof when the guards <laughs> came in. And the judge said, You are lying, that's perjury. I'm going to get rid of your license. And the superintendent said, Judge, maybe they were having a drink on the slate. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> the judge laughs. Everybody laughs. Yeah, yeah you have to you laugh. Do, and then, right. and you know, that was one. They were great times. I, I really enjoyed the foundons because it was all very interesting. The publican would not get an endorsement, right. but they'd be fined. Okay. And some of them would say, oh my God, keep my name off the papers. Of course, they'd yeah. always do that. But there was one chap I knew when he said, I want it on the paper. And what happened? His friend gave his name in the pub and he was not in the pub at all. He was elsewhere where he shouldn't be. Right. And his oh, wife, really? Yes. And his wife <laughs> said, I went in the you weren't there. And he said, look, I got the summons. And it's on the paper. I was there. All right. And they, that's a long time ago now, and they're grandparents now. But uh, I, mean, he, I mean, speaking of that too, Kieran, how, how has your profession changed since you started out? Well, it's, it actually hasn't moved that much. It's mm. the same really format. People are more entitled, they're aware of their rights now. They used to be overawed. You know, they would address the clergyman, the, the, the bishop, that kind of stuff. And the judge would treat it, the guards. But, but it's, it hasn't changed a lot. People are entitled to know what's happening. And they, they used to be told. People would just dismiss and say, yeah, that's OK. And now they're better there. They're more aggressive, a little bit. They're more assertive. This bloody uh, phones and texting each other, that's got that's more marriages than than mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it hasn't changed that much. But uh, this one you'll enjoy. I did the first divorce in County Tipperary, and mm. it was a female. And we were in the circuit court in um, Thurles, 12 o'clock on a Friday, and the female, my client, was beautifully dressed. Beautifully dressed, nails, hair. And there was no contest over it. She just, the judge would approve it. And the judge, was her first case, female judge, she said, I'm going to adjourn this until Tuesday. And the female, my client, said, you can't. Now, you never say to a judge, you can't. You say, maybe it would be more wise not to. And she said, what do you mean I can't? She said, judge, I'm getting married at half two today in Kilcord Lodge, and I want to be a bride, not a bigamist. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it brilliant? Fantastic. That's why she was dressed up. She had her hair done. Brilliant. That's so good. <laughs> that was fantastic. They were brilliant. Let's, let's take you back. So where in town are you from? 
I'm from near the railway station of Prior Park. My parents were teachers in the town. I was one of five brothers. Uh, different year a long, long time ago. Was it safe? It was safer. Mm. It was healthy. That was always, always on the climate in Clonmel. It was never a great town. And we lived near the railway station. And every Stevens Day, when we were very young, you'd see all the young men walking up to the railway station with their parents, going back to England. Mm. All because it was only the buildings. Mm. And that was a way of life here. And coming back then at Easter and home from Christmas. It was a different time. Was it healthier? It was good. Was it more affluent? It certainly wasn't. There was actually no crime. There really, I know people say you leave your door open. You wouldn't leave it open, but you didn't need to lock it. There was no question of that. The children could go down the street. There was, and even when my son was very young, he used to go to the local school here. We had no fears whatsoever. Mm. And what about school days? Where did you go to? Well, I went to the high school for a long while, mm. and then I went to Rockwell. Uh, I didn't enjoy the Christian brothers. I found them very violent. Very, mm -hmm. And my father was a teacher in the school. So we were actually we would have been treated differently by the Christian brothers. But mm. my friends had the most terrible time with mm. them. Uh, when I went to Rockwell, I couldn't believe it. They were open. They asked me what I'd like to do in life. Had I any ambitions or did I just want to, whatever it was. But there was one chap, I'll never forget him. His name was Harry Crosby. He was from Dublin. And he was a strong Dublin accent. And he hated it. He'd never been outside Dublin. He was sent down to Rockwell because he wouldn't, he was in Black Rock, kept running away. And we were asked in final year, what was it like? What, what are your ambitions in life? And we all said whatever it was. And he said, Father, when I get out of this kip, I'm never going to come past Cashel again. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to Kerry, I'll go by Mullingar. <laughs> he turned out to be a multi-millionaire. Multi-millionaire really? who bequeathed huge sums of money to Rockwell College. He just had a gift. And he started the first courier service in Ireland called Harry Will Carry. Brilliant name. Yeah, how catchy is yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, and he's a van. Imagine mm. he was from Rockwell, driving the van. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and he, that was life was good. Did he you enjoy good. Rockwell? I enjoyed him. I enjoyed the rugby. I, I loved was about sport. to ask, did you get involved yeah. in the rugby? Yeah, the rugby. I love rugby. I've been at 120 rugby internationals. 120. I have followed all my life rugby, and I've made great friends in rugby. You actually, my grandson now is my pal. Uh, he's come, he goes to matches with me. You make friends in rugby, you never make in other sports. And it's not how quality, the quality of the rugby, or did I play for the first. It doesn't really matter what team you play. Mm. But you do meet friends and you meet them afterwards. There's a great deal of context in it. You don't realise until 15 years later, I'm dealing with some solicitor now, say up in Mullingar or whatever, and we're really having hot and heavy. And he said, Karen, did I meet you somewhere? Then I know I can trust him. I know that... This will come to, we will bring this to a fruition. There's a great, but I mean, rugby to me, but any sport is great. Mm. Any aspirations to? Oh, no, no, not anymore. No, I just want to live happily. <laughs> I don't have to visit doctors. But back then, though, when you were in... No, well, everybody, everybody mm. aspires. Everybody mm. aspires mm. in sports. But you have a certain limitation. I got married very young. We went to London. And we lived there for many years. Where but were you in London? In Ealing, West London, West mostly. Five, yeah. yeah, West. But it was so difficult. And then we had our Sinead, and that was the end of my rugby. You know, you have mm. your family. That's mm. more than life. And then we came back here and started our practice. It was great fun. So, yeah, so the interest in law, where did I actually... No, it wasn't. It was nearly by accident. Really? I was going to do medicine. I had an older brother. And he said, Kieran, you will never make a doctor. <laughs> he said, you're, you're just having the brains. He was right. 
And he said, you don't have the discipline to sit down and listen to some woman telling you about whatever. He said, do something that you'll challenge you every day, that you have to be on the top of your game all the time. And the people you're with, you have to agree, you have to enjoy their company, realize they need your expertise, and that's what they're paying you for, and make sure you do your job. And that's how I got into it. Mm. I loved it. I didn't realize it was, I was nearly 30 years of age when I qualified. I just love it. I still mm. cannot sleep on Sunday nights. I love going out, all these phone rings. Mm. No, mm. not all the time. I can't do that anymore. I can't work. I don't want to work in the afternoons. My son, Roger's a solicitor here. My other daughter, Clean, is a barrister. My other sister, daughter, Sinead, is a solicitor. So we're all in this business. And when my, I can my, imagine yeah. sitting around the Christmas dinner no, table. No, you don't. <laughs> no, no. The general in our house is Mary Cleary, and she's very firm. When you open the front door in her house, mm. You're a guest, and I'm a guest in her house. We mm. never, ever, ever discuss. Never. never and when the phone, no one, it's the only way to do it, because mm. you can't do that, because there's high tension in court cases, massive tension. Mm. And I might be like, I'm on the four course tomorrow. That's big stuff now. This is really. So you're in Dublin? I'm in Dublin. Mm. So you can't discuss it. No, we never mm. discuss that. As if they were they're your family, but they're not, and they're colleagues, but you can't do that. No. It's over. Walk out at half five. And if you can't do your job between nine o'clock and half five, you shouldn't be doing it. You shouldn't actually be in that job. Did you enjoy law school? I didn't very much, no. I was very <laughs> poor academically yeah. because I, had, I was married and had two children. Mm. We were, that time we went to the four courts and I had to work at night time to make money. There was no money in law. There was nothing. You wouldn't get paid. What were you doing? I did driving lorries. No way. There's Keller gas lorries. I drove those for mm. nearly four years. I used to drive them from here, Tipperary Town, down to Arklow. Mm. Drive them back, come home, go to bed for a few hours, get up and go into work and pretend. Oh, my God. And oh, yeah, they went on for a long, long while. But we got through it. Mary was fantastic. All our friends were buying houses, then buying a car, getting a dog. Mm. We were still in rented houses. Mm. We were, all that goes with us, and she stuck through me, never once, never once. So now, when we have money, we're at latter end of it all, and I'm so, I was so lucky to get somebody who didn't say because there was a lot of exams I couldn't pass them. I'd keep doing the bloody things, mm -hmm. and she never said give it up. Others said, oh, "Can't you get?" And you could. There's jobs for everybody. You but no, I, I was absolutely, but. Uh, <laughs> I still have nightmares at one of them, because I went into criminal law very quickly, and one of the nightmares I have about once a year is, <laughs> I'm in a courthouse and I'm doing defending a criminal, and he's not charged with murder, and it's in Clamell Courthouse, and the jury, the tension is frightening. And the jury come back and they say, Judge, we have one question from Mr. Cleary. What's the question? Did Kieran Cleary ever pass company law? <laughs> you see? So, am I actually qualified at all? <laughs> I know, yeah, it is, yeah. And I never realised that. I was talking to a great friend of mine, a mm. dentist. <laughs> and all the years I've known him, and then we were sitting, we're chatting. I, I told him what I'm now telling you. Mm. He said he had the same thing. Once a year, he gets a wait, complete cold sweat, and he would be taken out a mole or tooth. And he said, geez, did I ever pass first medicine or dentistry? <laughs> yeah, I know that's part of it. And you know, I didn't enjoy that side of it. No. So, so when you qualified, where did you go after that? You no, know, I came straight here. You came the day, the, the practice, day really? I got my practice. And no said, way. I opened uh, in my house. Mm -hmm. my, uh, my, we lived with my dad for a while. And I had a, the, we changed one room. We had a pram, a filing cabinet, a typewriter, <laughs> and one chair for the client. And I got going very quickly. 
I got into really good cases. So then I took prep, um, an office down in Bultron Street near the West Gate, and then we brought this place many years ago. But um, it, it's, it, litigation is quick. It's now, because it takes six months to do a house or two years for a probate. You're now, the phone rings. I used to drive my children to school at nine in the morning, and then I'd go anywhere. When the phone rang, I would go to Wexford for a drink driving, or Tralee, or Limerick. I never collected them. I would mm. go wherever mm. the work was. And that's how we made a great living. Go with, and the clients would always appreciate you. They'd ring, say, from, I just say Wexford, say, but my own solicitor, that he can't come today. And I say, what time is it now? Nine o'clock, I'll be with you at half ten, and my fee is, have it ready. And it worked. I was all over the place for years. It was fantastic. But you come home at night, you wouldn't know. I mean, I could be anywhere. Yeah. I, I could go into, um, God, was it Limerick? Yeah. And I would tell my wife, I'm going to do a Ross. Mm. And she'd say, what are you doing? <laughs> and you know, that's the way we did it. And I loved that. I loved it brilliantly. Because then the mobile phones came in and that changed everything. They were good and they weren't. Can I take you back to your first time in court and addressing mm. the court mm. for a client? Were you mm. very, very nervous about that? Uh, yes, of course you would. Did you practice? But, but, but no, a little bit. You'd listen. No, what I used to do when I did a lot of time the forecourts, I would go in and watch the senior barristers, how they did it. And they were the people. They knew exactly how to do it. And I would follow that. But it's like going on to stage. I can never wait for the other person to sit down because I want to get on. I want to be on the centre of the stage. I need to have the whole focus on me. And of course, that's vanity. <laughs> but no, would you be nervous? No, just, and if you're not nervous, you're not practising. Mm. You need, even still, and I've done a huge amount of those cases and special criminal courts and everything, you should be nervous beforehand because then you're not, you're not on top of your game if you're not nervous. If you take it's just another, no, it's not just another. To that person, this is really important. Mm. And they pay you to do your best and you should enjoy it. But some, when you come out, often you'll be absolutely exhausted. I say you would be, yeah. Completely. I mean, I, 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 sometimes I'd have to stay in Dublin. I just couldn't face driving home. And it wasn't, there's no, be on your own, the feckin' hotel is useless. You know, when you're young. <laughs> Anyhow, but whatever, no, but no, it's still, it is, but it, you, you time yourself, you, you keep yourself fit, swimming, swimming, always go for an exercise after and get rid of it. And it, you lose cases too. And you have to say, Jesus. How do you feel when that happens? Yeah, well, you, you're just your problem, mm. you've lost it. Mm. You didn't, the client didn't tell you, or you didn't do it properly. Mm. Or the barrister didn't turn up or different. It's your problem. It falls back on you. And every case I've had, you sit around the four courts, you stand. Two barristers, solicitor, actuaries, all the witness in the circle. And the client says nothing and they discuss. And then this, this, the client was saying, now, Kieran, now they're offering money. They say, Kieran, what's your opinion? And that's it. That's what you paid for. And I would frequently say that is not enough. We could lose it. Are you willing to take a chance? I am. Off we mm. go. But you could lose it. Really? I mean, I had a chap on a motorbike who lost a leg. He was offered 50,000, but oh he was over the white line. He lost his case. So there's, you have to be, that's what you're paid for. The skill to know that's the value of the case now. Not next year, because this, particularly road traffic accidents, they're, they're Unisque is the white line, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. But and I'm great. sure you get to know the judges too, as well. You'd know who, and you'd know and their focus. Yes, they'd know you. Well, they have to know. They have to trust you. Mm. They have to trust you. What you're telling them is true. That you're not spurious or looking for adjournment. If your client is ill, is he ill? 
are you just telling me? Mm -hmm. and, and that's, you know, and then they trust you. They know what you're saying. And I would, because I would nearly know all the people I'm with, I would say, this will never be back again, Judge. He won't. Mm -hmm. And I know that because mm -hmm. I would know three generations of them. And if I think he might be, you wouldn't say that. Mm -hmm. But if you could give assurance as far as I, and you can sometimes, and say, right, I'll take your word for it. And I'd have to make sure, don't you ever, if you're going to get in trouble, feck off some other place. <laughs> you know, go to Donegal somewhere. <laughs> but don't do it in front, because they really annoy That's mm. If you mislead the judge, you're, oh, your history, you're, you're, you're toast, you're gone. And they all talk to each other. Right. And they ring and they talk and they meet and they're collegiate and they love, and I said, don't be careful. And if you hear the word, be careful, you know, you shouldn't go into something else, okay. become a, yeah. a you know, bank robber or something. <laughs> Coming from a solicitor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess a briefcase <laughs> and a briefcase. <laughs> what would you say the biggest challenge in your career has been so far? Gosh, there were so many cases, so many. I really... There was one case, i never forget it, well, it's a long time ago, it was a cattle rustler. And he was from South Tipperary and he was pleading guilty to stealing the cattle. But he didn't want it to be on the nationalist. So we got the case transferred to Dublin. And in Dublin, court reporters are only in television stealing, muggings, cattle rustling means nothing. They couldn't care less. And we were in Dublin in August. We were brought across to the pleading guilty to the uh, special criminal court. It was a time after the Mountbatten murder. Right, yeah. Now, I had assured my client it would not be on the nationalist. In writing, I said it would not be on the nationalist because Mammy would break her heart. Now, not to the farmers who robbed the cattle on, <laughs> you know, Mammy. Anyhow, we were up there and I went into this courtroom. There was reporters from all over the world. I couldn't believe what was going on here? <laughs> you know, this is a cattle rustling. Anyhow, they had got the fellow who mm. murdered Mountbatten and they were charging me for the court. No way. It, all over the world, were paper, everywhere. And this clown from Tipperary, the rustler in the middle of it. So anyhow, he paid back, he had the 20,000 to pay it back. And the judge said, I'll give him a suspended sentence, money to be handed over. And his wife had the money. And the judge said, what's the delay here? I said, um, she's not, um, okay, he said, I'll take, take it up again in an hour's time. She wouldn't pay the money. He had been very violent to her. She said, two months Mount Joy will do him good. So he burst into tears, I love you, darling. No, he said, look at that black eye. Mm -hmm. So she left him for a month in Mount Joy. He came out, three stone lighter. He got a fierce beatings. Somebody fell in love with him. Right, okay. Well, you know, that can happen. Yeah, and different yeah, people fell yeah, in love. Yeah. And it changed his life. But, but it wasn't on the nationalist. <laughs> he was, he cut his way in the end. <laughs> I can but that was, that was a nightmare. I, I nearly, yeah, I nearly wet myself. I never realised, I mean, I think it was on, yeah, right, the Liverpool Echo or something, had something like that. But I thought, Jesus, on the evening news. Now, look, there, there, there's some wonderful, wonderful cases. And you're uh, thinking, what are the chances of that happening? You could never. And I was, <laughs> I was trying to get in front of the cameras. <laughs> you see, to be seen walking out of the courthouse, you know, the people see it and all that kind of stuff. Here, I had to look with the Journal of Lanchellis, and there was numerous. There were so many wonderful ones, particularly when there's no violence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When when there's the victim, 
That's a different thing. Yeah. That there's no fun in that. That's no, that must be hard. No, that's horrific. Yeah. That could be you. Mm. That could be my family. Mm. But when it's you know people getting up to tricks and selling things they don't own, and mm. <laughs> you'd love this one. Oh God. My older brother was a doctor in Feathert, and he had a lot of English people around him. And this mm. English chap rang and he said, "I need a good solicitor urgently." Right, and what's happened? Oh, he said they they've charged me with forging twenty euro notes and giving them to little shops. So he rang me and he said, so "Come and see me." No, he said, I'm "Far too busy." I thought, "I'll send you in the summons." And what are you doing? He was he's a photocopier. He was forging twenty euro notes and going into small little shops and buying a box of matches or something small. <laughs> so anyway, but it was terrible. Anyhow, yeah. And I read this and I said, "He said, what's your fee?" He said, hundred pounds." Babe, on the morning, on the morning. And then, the more I thought about it, that's horrible what he's doing. He's going around to Mulnahone and, mm. you know, and they'll never get the money out of him. So he rang, I said, no, 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 things are different. What's wrong? I said, it's 200 pounds. Oh, 200, oh, he said, inflation is rampant in Clonmel. I said, take her levers, pleading guilty. Anyhow, we started off on at 9, 12, 11 o'clock. And I said to the judge, uh, my, my instructions are not complete. That means I haven't been paid. So he put it back at the end of the case, at the very end, and he handed me the envelope, and, I, and he had no previous convictions, and I was counting the 520s, or the 1020s, and then I had it, and I said, by the way, he's actually leaving Ireland. Well, he said he should, because he should never come back here again. Right, suspend the sentence, off he went. And yes, so now I had 200, and I went across to Hearn's Hotel, and because you would, hi. I think and I know I what's, drink, I think I know what's coming. Doing? Yeah, Go on. yeah, I know. So I paid it, and my friend Eddie Murphy said, Moment, Kieran, he said, What the fuck are you up <laughs> Jesus. He gave me five duds. <laughs> the neck of some the people. <laughs> no, it was brilliant. I had to think that was brilliant. That's unbelievable. Wasn't it fantastic? <laughs> I mean, and if I had counted them in the morning, mm. I wouldn't, but he knew I wouldn't. <laughs> it was brilliant. Very That's funny. what I, I thought he was class. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I wish we had more time, but I've got no, to wrap but it that, up of now. course you have. And I, I've got I one final question for you. Being from Clonmel, do you have a favourite part of the town or favourite part of Clonmel at all? I love the Blue Walk, the mm. Blue Way. I, I have spent my life running the roads, and that in the last five years has changed the whole town. From here to Carrick and Shure is a fabulous walk, and I love to see young children with their parents and scooters. I love to see adults of my age group, I love, I think it's, it would show great benefits for this town into the future. People would take to walking mm, and keeping mm. out and keep away from the surgeries. You don't need to go to a doctor, you need to exercise. Mm. Want to lose weight, you don't need to dietitian, stop eating. And I think that's, that's changed. I love that part of the town. And where Camilla are down around that area, you know, yeah, they are doing great work. Mm. These old buildings were falling down. What they're doing, what David Anschild is doing, it's fantastic for the mm. town. He's, he's some asset to our mm. town. He is. I love the Christmas trees are every year as well. They're Everything. Beautiful, aren't they? And he doesn't want to, I mean, I know lots of things he's been involved mm. in, and he just does it. He's a wonderful asset. He got a mere reception recently, uh, and I was really pleased. I, I wrote him, congratulating mm. him. But that's what I've seen. That's, it's the blue way has changed. 
Do you know what? It's a pleasure. Kieran thank Geary, you very thank much. Thank you indeed. so much. And thank you. <laughs> the Clonmel Podcast. Thank you, Kieran. So there we have it. That is the Clonmel Podcast for this Friday, the 1st of March. By the way, if you happen to know someone who's living abroad, or maybe it's you and you're from the town and would like to come on the Clonmel Podcast for a chat for our Wild Geese feature, please get in contact. You can email the Clonmel Podcast at gmail.com and you can message me through Instagram, Facebook, and of course, X as well. And through the website, www.theclonmelpodcast.com. Have a safe week. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by our friends at Clonmel Covers. Get the most out of your decking area with their decking side panels. They're also the makers of Easy Fit Farm Shed Windbreakers, and they make more than just truck covers. Check out their website, www.clonmelcovers.ie, for more information, and follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You've been listening to the Clonmel Podcast with Mark Whelan. Produced by West 10 Audio Productions. Your town, your podcast.